Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on episode 58 of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Chief Bat Company and doing some research I found that our next guest, his assistant coach at Wartburg College has a custom made fungo bat from the Chief Bat Company. So find them on Facebook And Ben Ogden, he does fantastic work. So reach out to the Chief Bat Company. You can find them on Facebook. Our next guest is from Western Dubuque. He is their current varsity assistant coach, which is a very cool story how that all happened. He is a current Bobcat record holder, Wartburg baseball record holder, and it came down to a vote-off. And he is also a member of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast All-Decade Team, which is a huge honor. And he was a North Woods League champion for the Waterloo Bucks. We welcome Dylan Gatto to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Dylan, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Real quick. Can we share that story on how it, how it came to be uh, you became the assistant coach at Western Dubuque this past season? Well, actually, so um, I think it was during uh, quarantine, actually, at the start of it, and uh, I was kind of messaging you here and there, and you're like, it's going to be a cool season, especially with Calvin and uh, Sawyer and all those guys and Casey, and you're like, if, if there's a, a season of coach, I think this is the one to do it, so... I texted uh, Coach Bryant, and I think within 30 seconds, I had the job. So, yeah. Cool. It, so when I interviewed Coach Bryant for his um, for his season preview and his program recap, he actually, um, when we were off air, offered me the varsity assistant job because I had resigned from there a year prior just because there were other things that I wanted to do. And I knew that I didn't want to coach baseball because it's I've, I've been doing it for 20-some years. I just wanted to see what summer was like. And, um, and I rejected his offer. And I reached out to Dylan just in a text. I was just curious if he was coaching or not. And he had said that he wasn't because he was supposed to go play in uh, the Northwoods League. But then that fell through. And, and I said, well, reach out to Coach Bryant. He's looking for an assistant coach. And... And it kind of um, it's kind of worked itself out there. But um, I want to start us off here, Dylan, with the Chief Bat ceremonial first pitch. In 2007, you set the Western Dubuque record for the lowest ERA in a season at .68. Now, Calvin Harris broke almost every single one of your football records. Did he end up breaking your ERA record, too, or does that one still stand? I think I want to say he did. I want to say he got like a point six two or three or something like that. I know Goody and him. I think it was Calvin's junior year, so Goody was a senior. I want to say they were both in line of breaking it. I think Goody let up a run, which his ERA climbed a little bit. But I want to say Calvin did break it. But yeah, he did also break all the football ones too. He broke those a little easier than the baseball one, but. So, Coach Brian, if you're listening to this, since you are my biggest critic of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, update your website. If Dylan Gatto is not the ERA record, go update that so I can get my facts straight. Now, Dylan, I want to talk about that season going in because having a .68 
ERA is is pretty phenomenal. How did you and your arm feel going into that season? Um, honestly, uh, I was going into junior year. So junior year of football, I was tiny and didn't really pay attention a whole lot in the weight room. And then going into senior year of football, I probably put on another like 15 pounds or so. So I was a little closer to being like a, I don't want to say a man because I was nowhere near that. I was still a little boy, but uh, that definitely helped a lot. And then, uh, I don't know, I just, I know throwing with Calvin all the time that uh, things are just kind of going to work out. And if guys do get on base, they're not going to run. So that definitely helped out a lot if I did let up a walk or a single or anything like that. Uh, that certainly helped uh, keep the ERA down. But uh, we also played in the WAMAC at that time. I think that was the was it the last year, uh, last year in the WAMAC. I want to say, and uh, we did play some some teams that weren't that good. But also, I would I'd kind of argue that like West Delaware and Solon and Beckman all had really good squads too. So. I know it's it's pretty cool, but also not as impressive. I want to say as Cody and Calvin's run, just with the the MVC and everything like that. And we're going to get into the Womack a, a little later here. But what did you do in the off season to prepare for that season? Um, honestly, I kind of wish I knew what I knew now about baseball back then. But really, I just threw and lifted. I mean, throwing footballs in the fall definitely helped a lot. And then going into the winter, uh, we have uh, pitcher catchers that we always used to do. And other than that, I mean, I didn't really overthink anything. Just throw it over the plate and hope they don't hit it and call it good. I, I always tell my kids, and I always told my kids this when I coached, that was one of my main teaching points was if I knew back then what I know about baseball now, I would have been a much better player. So I would always pinpoint what I thought were the most important things that I thought a high school kid would want to know for them for them to be successful. But you're right. Now, that season on the mound, what what was working well for you? Did you did you develop a new pitch? Um, and what were some things that maybe got scrapped that in the off season were working well, but then during a game or the season you weren't able to get a feel for it? Um, I would say, honestly, I was just uh, a four-seam, two-seam uh, change-up and curveball guy, and um, I really didn't use a whole lot of change-ups just because I couldn't really throw for a strike, and that was probably the first year I tried to like actually throw hard, whereas the times before I'm trying to get hitters out and hit spots and everything, and my senior year I was actually trying to throw hard, and luckily I could still hit my spots with it, so I think that helped. I mean, I don't really know how hard I actually threw I wasn't that hard but um I don't know if you change speeds and throw two or three pitches over the plate I think you can get a lot of hitters out that was one of my favorite things to do when I was at Western Dubuque was go to varsity games and sit behind home plate I mean you had a great breaking ball I, I loved watching your pickoff move to first base which was also a huge tool in your arsenal and seeing Goody's uh, slider I almost think if Calvin wasn't there catching for him it would be like a boomerang and it would break back to him to the pitcher's mound but Reflecting on that record-setting season, what were some of your most dominating starts? And if you can remember a stat line or two for some of those, what were some of those ridiculous numbers that you put up in some of your starts? Um, honestly, I would say I threw well in Solon, I remember. And they had a kid, I think he went to North Dakota State, a Luke Ira, I want to say his name is. And he, he was he was unreal. And they didn't really hit a whole lot of hard-hit balls, except Luke Ira had, I think, two or three that were screamers just right at people. So I kind of lucked out there. And then Beckman I threw pretty well, which obviously, I mean, that was probably the most, the game that you get the most hyped up for, just because, I mean, we're 15 minutes away, and it's almost like you're playing a district game there. And that was at Beckman, I want to say. And I threw well. We actually ended up losing. I think a couple baseball plays happened, an error or something happened here and there. But I thought I threw well there. And then actually in the district game, I think we played, it was Davenport Central. And that was the 
first year that they implemented the, the pitch count rule. So you couldn't go over 110. And I actually, I think I threw, quote me on this, but it was like eight and a third or eight and two thirds under the pitch count rule. And I did, I don't even know how many runs I gave up, maybe one. But I felt like that one was, I don't know, that was kind of cool too because after I got taken out, we were, I guess before I got taken out, um, there's kind of discrepancy of like how many pitches I threw. If I threw 105, 106, 107, like we don't want to get disqualified here. And I actually remember that, and it's like, well, I can finish this guy. Here you go, and end up finishing him. And it was almost like I don't, know, I don't want to say it was like in the MLB or whatever, but like walking off, it was almost like a curtain call. Um, and all the stands, uh, they kind of all went to their feet. And I think that was probably the coolest moment of probably my life, actually. Just kind of, I mean, slow walk to the dugout. I was like, wow, that was that was pretty sweet. But that's, actually, we ended up losing that game too. But that's awesome to go eight and two thirds inning with a hundred and ten pitch pitch count. That is impressive. I'm curious. I, I know that was a that was a tight battle back and forth, and I believe it was a sub state game. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What I so the very first. First one. So you probably didn't tip the cap when you were walking off, did you? I mean, if it was a regular no, season no, game, no, I no. think you do. No, but. I just I kind of put my head down and kind of like peeked out of the corner of my eye, and um, everybody kind of rose their feet, and started clapping. I was like, ah, that was pretty sweet. And then I had to go play center actually, anyway. So I probably didn't even make it to the dugout. They probably threw me my glove and I ran out. So it's it probably wasn't nearly as cool as what I thought. So now, now were there any starts that year where you got knocked around a bit? Um, honestly, I don't, I really don't remember. Um, just, I mean, I probably, I probably did once or twice. I, I don't even remember. Um, I just remember all kind of the good stuff, but I don't know, maybe I'm sure a couple times too, there was, well, I, I'm not dogging on the programs or anything, but, uh, Animosa wasn't very good. Makokita wasn't very good. And I think I threw against, I might not have threw against Animosa, but Makokita I definitely did. I think we only played like five innings there, and I don't know. That was kind of the story of the Womack, but they're—I felt like they're either really good or really not very good. So now that was a great lead-in here to my next question. So we have really picked up followership in the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast in the last month. So thank you to the Hempstead Run that brought a lot of people here. Thank you to uh, outstanding guests like Connor McCaffrey and people we had before that. But if you have not yet listened to our three-part series on the all-area, all-decade team, please go back and do that. I actually get a lot of flack for those three episodes. And two of the things that people always come into question is half of those kids were playing with hot bats and half of those kids were playing in the dead bat area. And then the other flack that I get is Western Dubuque played in the WAMAC and they were 3A and they played in a two-way conference and never played anybody so how would you respond to that you actually made the team it came down to a vote up you were tied with another pitcher I can't remember who you were tied with but it came down to a vote off and um, you ended up getting in so how do you respond when people say that the WAMAC was trash and Western Dubuque has flayed its stats because there's no competition Yeah, obviously. I mean, uh, like I kind of said, there were there were some downfalls in in the WAMAC conference. That I mean, the teams that just weren't as good. But I would also say, I mean, I coached um, varsity baseball last year, and in the MVC, there are a lot of teams that are not very impressive as well. Um, not to dog on any of those programs or anything like that, but that's just kind of how it is. You're going to have some good teams in a conference and some bad teams. But um, I don't know, you can probably thank Corey Davidson too. Just uh, he was a uh, uh, Western Buke all the way. Um, but I would argue, I mean, like I said before, West Delaware was a solid program. Beckman had, I mean, how many? There's what two Division One players, and then how many other college baseball players on that team? Like Vasky and Bennett and Legrand. Like they were 
a solid club. And I mean, uh, we had to play them too. So, I mean, yeah, they might've not had a four a label on them or anything like that, but I would, I would say they can compete with any other four a programs in the, in the state. And, and one thing that I'll say that coach Bryant does a great job of is when you guys were in the WAMAC, he would always schedule a tough non-conference schedule and you guys would have that tournament where he would invite out Pleasant Valley and Hempstead and and a couple other teams mixed in in there and and you guys had no cupcakes during your non-conference schedule at all. So now you coach in the Mississippi Valley Conference and you know, how was the competition different? I mean, you said the Mississippi Valley had some down teams as well, but what would you say would be the biggest difference when you look at what you played in and now coaching in the Mississippi Valley? Um, Honestly, I saw a lot of similarities. I mean, maybe it's just me kind of being a couple years older, but I really didn't see, I mean, in the WAMAC, there was usually... I mean, back. I keep going back to this, but like back then, it's like, well, we got Bennett, Vasky, and Legrand. We got to watch out for them. But these teams now, I, I mean, there's one or two guys. It's like, yeah, uh, probably don't give them anything great. Usually the three or four hitter. But other than that, um, go right at them. It's, I mean, they're not going to hurt us too bad. And if they do, then the other guys, it's going to kind of taper off. So I don't know. I, I see there's a lot of similarities be, between the two. The labels with the 2A and 3A and the WAMAC and just 4A and the MVC, I guess Waller too. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's as different as everybody thinks. Um, but, yeah, we played on, like, the weekends, and we wouldn't have our one or two throw, and we'd hang in there or beat. I mean, we've played Hempstead, Pleasant Valley, Senior, all these teams that compete in the MVC, and we don't really have a huge problem with them. Like, yeah, I mean, it might be back and forth, but I don't know. Now, I want you to reflect on this year coaching. Some of the guys you coached this past season you played with, some of them you've been lifelong friends with. How do you make that transition playing with the boys to now coaching the boys? Well, I know I'll, I'll probably start with, like, Sawyer. Um, I didn't really know Sawyer that well, but I knew, I mean, he's – a good ball player and then Casey obviously knowing uh Cole I knew Casey pretty well going into it and Calvin I mean he's probably one of my best friends um and I would say I probably coached Calvin the most out of everybody not necessarily being a hardo on him but like hey if you get that inside pitch hit that like we're we're in the cage we're working stuff out he was kind of in a little slunk and he knew that I knew that everybody kind of knew that and I mean, that kid worked like hell to get out of it. So, um, I mean, it is. it was kind of cool just because, I mean, like uh, me and Calvin, we'd go fishing on Sunday. It's like, all right, I'll see you at practice tomorrow. And Casey, me and Casey would talk about go golfing and whatever. We never actually got to go golfing. But, I mean, it was almost – I was definitely a player coach, but also I wasn't there just to be everybody's friend. We we still got to get work done and got to get wins and everything like that too. I, I love uh, Calvin shared a story about how you and him would finish a game and switch out your Western Dubuque jerseys for a Farley jersey and drive 94 miles an hour from one small town to another small town just just to continue to play uh, more baseball. Now, but Dylan, I, I did take some audience questions. So we're going to transition here real quick to the Chief Bats seventh inning stretch. One question here Casey Bryant has for you is Casey Bryant is the head coach of the Western Dubuque Bobcats. Now he wants to know, are you planning on coaching for a while so that you can take over the program when he steps away in a few years? I would, I mean, I would love to coach for, I mean, that's what I plan on doing with my life. Um, I can't really say right now. I mean, I'm going into, I guess my senior year in college and who knows what the future holds, but if that ever presents itself, absolutely. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But yeah, down the road, I would say uh, coaching is definitely in my career choice. 
I think Casey Bryant threw that question in there because he wants people to be like, oh, he's only going to be around a couple more years. And I think he wants people to speculate how many more years he's going to be around. Now, what are you going to school for? Are you going to school for education or what um, degree are you trying to get where you might still be able to coach? Uh, My uh, major is fitness management. And then I have a minor in business and uh, leadership as well. So what I wanted to do with that is something in either like the strength and conditioning field or um, now it's kind of gravitating towards coaching, especially after coaching the last two years and um, honestly getting a grad assistant spot or something right out of college would be more than ideal and um, who knows, I guess, how far that goes and where that takes me, but uh, I guess the future... uh, the future is called the future for a reason. Huh? Yeah. So. Best of luck with all those endeavors. Now we're going to transition back to my portion of the interview here. It's uh, after setting many school records at Western Dubuque, being a two-time first-team all-conference selection, second-team all-district, you ended your career with a 14-4 and overall record that took you to the Wartburg Knights. What led you to Wartburg, and what other schools were looking at you? Um, honestly, I was, I mean, uh, Co kind of showed some interest, Coach Cook uh, at Co. Um, I really liked him. He kind of came to some basketball games. Um, Coach T-Von at Loris kind of recruited me, um, and Coach Doty uh, basically recruited me at Wartburg. And I've been on, on Co's campus. My sister actually went there. And um, obviously, I've been on Loris's campus with um, all kinds of like Loris leagues and stuff like that. Um, so I went. Me and Max Stefan were actually like visit buddies because we both wanted to play football and baseball. And all the coaches were like, "Let's get these two Western View kids on campus." So we went to Loris, talked to both T Von and their football coach. I'm kind of blanking on the football coach's head, head coach's name. And then we came to Warburg and same thing. And I mean. I, the Warburg facilities are just incredible, and um, especially being for four years, they, like they're always doing something. They're never satisfied with the facilities, whether it's new floors or new stadiums. We actually just got stadium seating in the baseball field, and a couple of years ago it was the soccer stadium, and the softball field actually got redone as well. It's just they're they're always trying to push um, the athletics and everything about it, and. I don't know, everything here it kind of reminded me of home, mm. whereas Dubuque wasn't necessarily far enough away from like away from my actual home. Where here, it's if I do need to go home, I can, and uh, but I'm also far away uh, enough to kind of get away from everything too. Now so, you decided not to play football, is that correct? How come you didn't play football at Wartburg? <laughs> well, kind of going back on what I was talking about before, uh, I was not a very big kid, and uh, I think the potential was definitely in baseball rather than football. I thought I was a decent football player, but I think uh, at the next level I would have got smacked around a little bit. So um, <laughs> in baseball, I, it's not as physical by any means, so I think I definitely... Uh, probably picked the right choice there I, I think you did too and then max he ended up going to clark and he does not play baseball anymore is that correct yeah and honestly he it was weird because he was gonna commit to warburg is me and him we went to warburg and we came out and uh we're like i told him i said i'm i'm gonna go to warburg here i think i have to this is too perfect of an opportunity not to he's like yeah yeah i think i am too so he was gonna go to warburg until i think iowa state and you and i both kind of hopped on the football recruiting and i mean if you're getting recruited for division one i don't blame him for passing passing up uh warburg by any means um just for the opportunity and everything so he went to war uh you and i actually mm. and um i think he ended up redshirting and then transferring to clark and now he's kind of the big man on campus there which is pretty sweet yeah he's i believe he scored clark university's first ever touchdown for their football program which was awesome to see now dylan you came across my radar last year coach bryant does a great job with his twitter feed and you were actually i believe trending in the area because you set 
um, a record for Wartburg baseball, and you set the strikeout record for an opening day start. And that's a pretty outstanding feat when you think about Wartburg being a powerhouse in the ART Conference, formerly known as the Iowa Conference. But how many strikeouts did you have in that game? Um, I want to say it was either 16 or 17. Which initially walking off the field, I, I mean, I knew I kind of had a, I was getting up there. Which it was our opener up in Minnesota in US Bank Stadium, so that was cool already. And uh, everybody's kind of got the jitters, and we're playing well. And I'm kind of striking out a, a bunch of guys. I was like, oh yeah, I might be at the twelve, maybe thirteen ish. They're like, hey, how many? How many you think you got? I was like, I, I don't know. And I told them 12 or 13. They're like, uh, no, you had a little more than that. You had about 16 or 17, whichever one it was. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know. And that actually, I probably would have pitched uh, another inning or two because that was only a seven-inning game. So, I don't know. Who, who knows what could have happened, I guess. But Wow. So you struck out 16 or 17 guys in a seven-inning game. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I'm not really sure how it happened. Either. Wow, that's that's impressive. Now, did you know during your bullpen that you were going to have a good start? I mean, were you just locked in and on, or 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 what? What was going through your mind walking out on US Bank Stadium? I think in like the in the opener, whether it was in high school or college or even summer ball, always the first game is kind of. I mean, you're always locked in. You're kind of going all out for first game you haven't competed in a while and I mean I didn't really think anything too crazy in the bullpen everything was just kind of normal and I got to the game and everything was moving moving a lot and my velocity was uh pretty good that day and I don't know they just kept swinging at sliders in the dirt <laughs> so uh uh kind of got lucky with that I guess but so when you talked about that record setting season at Western Dubuque, you, you did not mention a slider. You talked about how you were two-seam, four-seam, change that you couldn't throw for a strike and that big looping curveball. So you've since added a slider to your repertoire, huh? Yeah, I, I thought the, the looping curveball might have been uh, it needed something else, that's for sure. So, yeah, I uh, added the slider, I want to say um, either, I think it was freshman year, freshman year in between the fall and the spring. And uh, the Twitter account, actually, Pitching Ninja, I don't know if you've seen that, where they put all kinds of pitch grips and um, videos of pitchers basically going out and striking out people or pitching, whatever. And I just kind of gripped it and ripped it one day at practice. It's like, oh, that moved quite a bit. So <laughs> I'll, I'll have to add that to the arsenal. So, yeah, that's probably my, my best pitch right now, to be honest. Now, velocity-wise, what do you sit at? And then if you really need to rev it up, what can you get up to? Uh, see, that's a good question. Um, in high school, I'm not even sure what I was at. College, I was probably lower 80s in the like freshman year. Last year, I was probably – if I had to pinpoint, probably like 83 to 86. And then this last year, I guess the two years ago, I was 83 to, I'd say 83, 85, and I touched 86. And then um, I think I only started three games last, like the coronavirus year, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, whatever whatever um, you want to call it. I have yeah, no idea. I was, I was basically 84 to 86. I think I hit 87, 88 a couple times, but wasn't necessarily sitting there. And then up at the the Bucks, I want to say I hit 89 on like a warm up pitch because mm. that's what one of my my buddies told me I hit 89. I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet, but I didn't actually see it, so I can't really necessarily say I hit 89. So uh, depends depends on the day as well. Now, last year was cut short, like you had mentioned, due to the coronavirus. What is the outlook for the Wartburg team coming up here this upcoming season, and and what what's your outlook for yourself? Um, I think it, I think we'll be all right. Um, we lost a couple hitters, um, a couple position guys, and a couple pitchers as well. Um, but I think from what coaches uh, saying, and I guess we haven't really seen a whole lot. We haven't played any games yet in the fall. Um, but I think the freshmen can definitely fill in, and we obviously have sophomores and juniors and seniors now too 
that will fill in too. So um, I think if we if we get uh, like nine pitchers that step up and throw well, we can get midweek games and everything going. I think we'll we'll be pretty good. And Jeff Harris, when I was taking audience questions for the Chief Bat seventh inning stretch. He wants to know, are you coming back for a fifth year at Wartburg, or, or are you done after this year? That's a great question. I don't necessarily have a complete answer for you right now, but I will say Wartburg did a really good job with uh, the coronavirus. Um, well, we, The NCAA granted our eligibility, but Wartburg actually took it upon themselves that next year if I would come back for a fifth year, if I was enrolled all year this year, um, that it would be free for tuition. So if I lived in a house, I would just have to pay for rent and I could take classes and everything here yet, which is honestly huge. I know a couple guys from Co were talking and they're going back. So it's like, I mean, you kind of get the, the blood pumping a little bit to want to beat them again, but I guess we'll see. I don't really know yet. And that's a pretty unbelievable um, experience. I actually forwarded that article to my wife because she's a, Wartburg graduate and I don't understand Wartburg people like they just love Wartburg and they love their school it's really not for me that way at the University of Dubuque but Wartburg people is a real tight-knit group tight-knit community that absolutely love that school now you got invited to play for the Waterloo Bucks in the North Woods League what was that experience like how did it come about and then how was that different this year, the Northwoods League compared to the Northwoods League in the past? Um, actually, this year was my first year playing in the Northwoods League. I got, I mean, I think at the the end of the year, they're trying to kind of find some arms where guys are starting to go off to college a little early. And um, this year was my first year. And I was actually in Colorado at the time on a little family vacation. And, um, so I got a text from uh, my assistant, Ryan Doty, who was asking about it. It's like, you know what, that's, I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, I'll take it. So I messaged, his name's Casey Harms, who's the manager for the Bucks, And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you all set up. So immediately we drove to Colorado. So on the 13 hour drive back, it might've been 12, 13, somewhere around there. Immediately as we got home, the next morning at I want to say it was nine o'clock. I left to go to Waterloo, and luckily, I, I, I mean, we're in Waverly here. It's only a twenty-five minute drive to the stadium, so I was able to stay here and um, go to go to Waterloo. But I mean, the the players there were incredible. I don't Peyton Williams from Iowa. I think he he either tied it or broke the home run record this year, and um, there's all kinds of super good players. A lot of Iowa guys, like the pitchers too, that came in through for us. Um, but I was only there, uh, I think it was probably like nine days, something like that, where it was it was the end of the season. I was able to get a relief appearance and then a start. And, um, I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, all the little kids and everything asking for autographs and balls, everything like that. That's It's a really cool experience. Um, I always, I kind of told my parents, I was like, the good thing is, is, I mean, it's kind of a cool experience that we're living like minor leaguers. I was like, and the bad thing is, is we're living like minor leaguers, (laughs) but yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, uh, technically I was part of the, like the championship team, but I was only there for like eight days or so. So now you said you didn't have a host family because you were in, in Waverly, but I, I know they had pods in the Northwoods League. So how many teams were in your pod? It wasn't normally, like normally I think there's 16 teams in each division and you play all 16 teams. How was it this year? Um, I want to say we, they kind of, I want to say there was only like three teams in a pod. We, <laughs> my time there, we only played like two teams because we went to Rochester like three different times. Mm. And then Rochester came down. Then there was another team. But normally... Because I want to say there's four in a normal pod, so they have to play like a championship game to who won, and who doesn't, like who didn't win. But we didn't get to play a championship game because I think we were just the outright winners. We didn't have to play uh, whatever. I mean, I think we were the one after 
uh, whatever kind of happened, which we were, it was kind of cool too. After our last game, we were waiting on, um, I don't even know what team it was, uh, but we were watching on like the Jumbotron out in center field because they had to lose and we had to win that night and we ended up winning. So it was kind of down to the criteria and they ended up losing. We watched that and then we got to celebrate a little bit on the field. Nice. Now you had answered a lot of my follow-up questions that, that I had for you, but do you think um, that's an opportunity for you to be able to play in next year, or was it just kind of a one-and-done type thing for you? I, I hope so. I mean, um, it was a really good experience, especially if I can um, get my velocity up, I would say. I mean, lefties can kind of get away with sitting uh, upper 80s rather than 90-plus like righties if you do want to get looks at the next level. And, I mean, if that opportunity presents itself, I think the Northwoods would definitely be a way to kind of open that door up. I guess we'll we'll see how it goes and see how the off season and this upcoming season goes, too. And you said you had a start and a relief appearance. How did you do? Yeah, which, actually, the relief appearance was kind of crazy. Um, he basically told me, our manager, he's like, yeah, you probably won't pitch tonight if it's close. We just want to see you pitch first, and then we'll get you a start if you're if you're like whatever if you're decent. I guess. Yeah, it's it's funny how when you get at that level, they they're not about hurting or they're all about just giving you the truth. You know, they're not going to coddle you. Yeah. And oh, yeah. you know, he said something that could totally deflate your ego or your confidence. <laughs> but that's just how things go in in, in those types oh, of leagues. Oh yeah, and actually, it was uh, so it was the ninth, and we were tied. Tenth, we were tied. 11th we were tied and he comes down he's like hey Gatto you're going in the 12th if we're still tied I was like oh okay like I had no idea I was gonna go in at all so I end up throwing an inning which the new rules this year puts a guy on second base so I think I got I think I was actually a little ticked off because I thought I struck a kid out on like a 2-2 slider in the dirt and he check swung and I thought he went but they call. They said he didn't, so he ended up grounding out to, I want to say, second base, something like that. So the runner advanced to third, and then I think another real soft ground ball up the middle. Um, so we got an out, but they ended up scoring. And then uh, I don't know how I got the last guy out. It might have been a, a pop-up or a fly ball or something. And I was walking back to the dugout, and I was kind of ticked off that I allowed the run. And they're like, hey, uh, you got to go on second and run. So I had to, <laughs> I had to run that, that game as well. And there was a pass ball. I was able to advance to third. And it was a lot closer than I was thinking. I was like, out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to get thrown out here. And uh, kind of a bad throw to third. So I was able to get safe. And then I scored on the next next at bat, I think. And then we ended up scoring another. And we went, ended up winning there. So I think I got the win actually in a relief appearance that I had to run in as well. So that was a interesting uh, Northwoods League. Uh, that's a, that's a great story. Gatto, we're not going to throw you tonight unless we're up by a lot because we're not sure if you suck. And to going like, hey, we don't have any pitchers. It's a tie game. We need you to We need you to go in there. And then how did your start go? Do you remember how many innings you threw? Did you strike yeah, I, anybody out? Did you get the victory? Um, I end up getting a, I think I, we end up losing, but I didn't allow a run or maybe one run. Oh, I think I did in the first inning. I think there was a, <laughs> I think the very first guy I threw to hit a double in the gap. And I was like, Oh no, here it goes. <laughs> it's like, well, here's your rude awakening Dylan. But, um, and then something happened where I want to say one or two runs scored something like that, but was actually throwing pretty well. Uh, I don't even know how many strikeouts I had. Maybe like four or five. I think I threw six or seven innings. And they're like, all right, you're done. Hey, good job. And I went down to the bullpen to get like my post throw in and do some bands and stuff. And uh, Matt Perea, he was the pitching coach there. He kind of came down. And he was kind of jogging. And I was like, okay, he's getting somebody in the pen ready. He's like, got you want to go back out? Like, I was like, uh, what? He's like, you got one batter. We'll get you a little curtain call. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. And uh, I was able to go in and um, uh, actually the first first batter smokes a ball at in between first and second. 
and I'm always terrible at these getting over to first, the little PFPs, and I'm always so late to it. So I'm sprinting down the line trying to receive this throw from, I don't even know if our first or second baseman got it, but I thought I got him out, kind of toe-tapped the bag, rolled, tumbled, and I was on the ground. I looked up at the, the umpire, and he called him safe. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> The fairy tale ending, I guess, if you want to call it that. So yeah. I got taken out after that. But yeah, it was really special, too, that I think, I mean, uh, I guess the Farley Semi-Pro always joke that their attendance went up when they added me because all my family loved coming to the games. And I'm not joking. There was probably 30, 35 people that were there that were, like, part of my family. And they were hooting and hollering. I thought that was pretty cool. But it would have been better if I would have gotten out. Yeah. <laughs> Now, D- Dylan, the thing that I love about this podcast is the stories that I hear about upcoming guests, and, and sometimes people will just want to send a message that, that they wanted to share with you, or, or let people want to let the guests know how much uh, this person means to them. So I got a private message sent to me on Facebook, and I'm going to read it to you word for word uh, what it says here. It says, Nick... I wanted to send this message to you instead of posting it in the comments. It may get get a little long. Greg Reisner says, Dylan Gatto is an absolute idol in our family, and my son Brock is 11. Dylan's dad, Dean, lives across the street, and from a young age, Brock has looked up to him. Dylan played catch with him, both with a baseball and a football. He would shoot hoops with him, and that was the reason why Brock moves toward basketball instead of wrestling, because he fell in love with shooting with Dylan. Brock plays all of the sports Dylan does, football, baseball, and basketball, because he saw his idol playing them. I guess my one question for Dylan would be, how do you stay so humble and continue to be an amazing role model for kids? He's not flashy. He's not a troublemaker, and he's extremely friendly. In a world where fame and fake seem to be the key words for athletes, he's one of the most genuine, successful athletes I've ever met. Brock couldn't have found a better role model to look up to. So what are your responses to that, and how do you answer uh, those questions? I thought that was a pretty heartwarming message that I had, that I did not put that on our pre-interview screener. I purposely left that off and added it in after I sent it to you. Yeah, well, I I don't even know how to follow that up. I mean, I we knew, I guess we moved to Southlake, and uh, Greg was across the street, and Brock and Greg would always kind of come over we kind of hang out and do whatever and I mean that kind of means the world to to hear that he texts me here and there kind of uh checking up on me and I'll check up on them and do whatever and if I stop over at dad's whatever it will be grilling or doing whatever they'll stop over but yeah that's I mean that's that's why we basically play and do stuff is for stuff like that I mean that's awesome to hear I I'll have to shoot him a text or give him a call after this and thank him for that but yeah and his one question he had for you is how do you still say stay humble and genuine with all the success that you've had oh boy um i i don't know you just kind of got to take take your victories as they come and live each day like uh like there's no tomorrow i guess i don't know that was cheesy but i don't know my parents they always kind of raised me um kind of appreciate everything and um I, I I don't really know. I wouldn't consider myself super humble by any means, but that kind of means the world to, to hear that from him. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I wanted to share that with you. Now, before we hit out of the podcast ending double play, Dylan, uh, we have to talk about semi-pro because I know Gary Langle and the other semi-pro people would get all over me if I uh, – if I had somebody from the Farley Paul Shermans on here um, and, and I didn't ask you a question, but how long have you been playing for the Farley Hawks? So I want to say it was senior year. I kind of got started where Farley needed players here and there. And truly, I don't know if Paul listened to this or not, but I was like, I really don't want to play. Like I'm playing enough baseball during the summer. I did not want to play. But Calvin's like, come on, come on. And Scotty Harris He's always on it, uh, on me about playing. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll play. And then I started kind of meeting everybody. 
And I mean, it was a blast. Like you said, that one story where me and Calvin, we just got done with the game and uh, we knew we played up in Worthington. So we're going farther to Worthington. It's probably 15 minutes or so. We probably made it like eight minutes tops because we were, we were <laughs> hauling out of there. And I think we passed one of my relatives too. Like, is that Dylan that just passed us? It's like, yeah, it's me and Calvin. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really tell mom or dad how fast we were actually going, but we had places to be. So let's hope they didn't listen to the Calvin Harris one, and let's hope they don't listen to this one, or else they might be uh, reaching out to you now. Yeah. Semi Pro is notorious for having just hilarious stories and just drop down to the ground funny moments. What what are some of those? hilarious moments either playing or watching that stand out to you i honestly there's all kinds of i mean just the guys in general whether they're on your team or not we're kind of labeled as uh, the more serious team which uh we like to win but i mean we're just not as loud as everybody else where i know epworth and farley don't really get along but um even like after the games i think it was the farley farley tournament where um, like Gavin Otterman and a couple of Warburg alums that I knew, uh, basically going to Warburg, they'd come back and they'd kind of hang out with us and everything like that. And after the games, we'd hang out with them and, uh, just kind of the stories you hear are just so like, they sound like they're like tall tales basically because like out in Placid, they'd hide a ball under, under, uh, some grass because they never had a fence or they'd chew off the cows before they played it's I don't, know, I don't really necessarily have a whole lot of experiences with that but just imagine like the the matter of meeting so many people and um how like it's hard for me to describe people at college like what this means to everybody back home like Dubuque County in my opinion there's really nothing like it anywhere I go it's always I'm always missing Dubuque County and they just I mean they eat up baseball it's like semi-pro a league game on a tuesday night there's people there and they're super into the game and um there's like the the game changer where uh they get on the ipad and they update scores so everybody else can see who's not there and it's just it's so crazy to me like how much goes into it and everything but it it is and i've shared this many times that i did not plan on doing any semi-pro episodes and people kept on mentioning it to me and it it uh, I, I decided to do a couple and very little promotion, very little um, prep on my part, letting the audience know they were coming. They were pretty much recorded one minute and released the next minute and we released a whole bunch of episodes at once. They weren't spaced out and I mean we had couple hundred people every single episode got over a hundred plays and we had a couple other episodes that were well over 200 and I think the Epworth one was over 300 plays. Dylan the last question I have for you is people love to pick the mind of a pitcher. You've played high school in Dubuque You've played semi-pro in Dubuque, and Wartburg even makes some trips up to Dubuque. If you could think about some of the most dangerous hitters that you faced in the Dubuque County area over the years, who are some of those hitters? Yeah, I'm thinking like right away, just in in like the area where um, I'll even just go into like semi-pro. I mean, basically every team has at least one or two that are super solid like piazza this year um i mean the rambler brothers uh nate plays all the time but ryan doesn't play as much but don't get me wrong if you see ryan in the box i mean he can still take you 400 deep um there's all kinds of guys like uh back when i guess like two years ago tommy andrews he was uh he was actually a pe teacher at western Dubuque, i believe and didn't really know anything of him, but I was uh, at a tournament, I think it was the Cascade Tournament, and I was just watching him, and I mean, obviously he's, uh, he's, I mean, not a younger guy by any means, I don't want to say anything like that, but um, I mean, he still breaks, there's so many of them, like Cascade, Bryce Simon, even Brock Simon, who, he plays UD, uh, basketball at UD, 
who's I mean, he doesn't even play baseball in college and he still hits the ball hard. Nate McMullen, um, for Farley, I mean, we got Andy Seabrook, Craig, um, Gizzy, he's kind of getting at the end of his career, but he's still, I mean, he barrels up balls. These guys who, um, when I tell them, like, who plays in the, these leagues and everything, I mean, they they don't understand that these guys still rake. And um, I don't know, it's kind of cool because I know Cole Perrinell pretty well. So um, guys at Loris that obviously we play against, um, I'll go hang out with Cole and Dubuque or whatever, and I'll see some of his teammates. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you pitch against me. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And, um, I mean, there's there's always those guys that you have. Uh, but, I mean, even – I mean, I keep bringing up Vasky and even Jackson Bennett, but whenever we play, like, Dyersville, when me and Calvin were uh, – Calvin was catching, I was pitching – I don't know why it's just always Dyersville that we. I always have a, a pretty good game, and they're all solid. And I don't know if I just get revved up for them or what, but um, there's yeah. all kinds of. You look at like some of the guys they had. They had the Klosterman brothers, and they had Vasky, and then they had Deerdorf as well. So you just hear some yeah. of the uh, area preps that that starred there, Dylan. Anything to plug or anything you want to promote before we thank our sponsor one more time and then call it a day? Um, I really don't have anything, but if anybody, if anybody's listening to this and you are in high school and are looking at going into Warburg, let me know. Get in contact with me or uh, Coach Mam in here. He'll give me your number or whatever. If you ever want to go on a visit, eat lunch together, whatever, let me know and uh, we'll work some things out here. So. Awesome. Thank you again to the Chief Bat Company for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to Wartburg Knight and Western Dubuque Assistant Coach Dylan Gatto for joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. 643, we're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.